Welcome to the Central Community Church Podcast. We exist to be authentic followers of Jesus, leading others to follow Him by loving God, loving people, and serving our world. Exodus 2, 11-25 One day, when Moses had grown up, He went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Uel, he said, How is that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son and called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry from rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Good morning. Good to see all of you. When I was uh, quite young, I uh, remember reading and being absolutely enthralled with the book uh, Run Baby Run by Nikki Cruz. Does anybody remember that book? Old enough to remember reading it. <laughs> it's a 1968 autobiographical, uh, autobiographical true story about the author's desperate search for acceptance and meaning as a, f- uh, a fresh immigrant from Puerto Rico to the United States. The book details Cruz's life uh, on the run as a violent, out-of-control young boy who is sent to New York to live with his older brother in the 1950s in Brooklyn. With no respect for authority or any knowledge of the English language, Nikki dropped out of school within within weeks of arriving in New York and is driven out of his brother's home as well. So he's left his father's home, he's left his brother's home, he gets kicked out. Desperate, with no food, no place to live, 
He nervously committed his first robbery in order to survive. Living on the streets of New York with no friends or family to turn to, Nicky eventually joined the infamous Mau Mau's, a street gang who became his quote-unquote family. Nicky would spend several years in the gang acting as its president during its most violent and criminally active period in their history. In 1958, a Pennsylvanian preacher named David Wilkerson met with the Mau Mau's and was nearly killed by Nicky, who decided to attend one of Wilkerson's arena meetings, a crusade, so that the gang could show up and actually rob them, take the offering. Instead, Wilkerson, through an unwavering, compassionate commitment to the gospel and the power of God's love, appealed to Nikki to abandon his violent drug and sex-filled gang existence for a relationship with this gracious father, this gracious God, who loved him just as he was. I'll never forget that point in the story where when Nikki threatens to, to kill uh, David Wilkerson, David said, you know, you, Nikki, you can cut me into a thousand pieces. But each one of those pieces will cry out, will tell you that God loves you. And as I was refreshing myself with the details, some of the details of this story, Run Baby Run, written by Nikki Cruz, um, actually on Amazon's website, I came across this review from 2002, not that long ago. A person said, this is the kind of book we need to give to our teenagers today. Well, not just them, everyone should read it. They can relate in the realest way possible to the pressures of peers, drugs, sex, the macho attitude, and loneliness. It tells of a boy and many others who just wanted someone to love them. It tells of how God uses other people to help these teenagers see that they are truly not alone. God loves them no matter what crimes they've committed or what kind of darkness their heads and hearts are in. Nicky Cruz shares his life with us in the most open way. He helps you see how his life was transformed from one of gang life to a wonderful life with a wife, children, and a mission to help others who were just like him. I highly recommend it. This person said, even if you don't believe in God or his awesome power, you will still be able to relate to Nicky. I guarantee you'll be rooting for him and will feel joy in his life-changing moments. He truly was, is a man who was touched by God. And you know, that's exactly what I thought of when I read the story of Moses. You see, stories of life transformation are nothing new. They're nothing new. They began here and they will continue until the Lord returns. It's what God does. God takes lives and he transforms them for his glory. Nikki Cruz's story is the story of Moses or Adam and Eve, or of Abraham, or Jacob, or David, and Bathsheba, of Jonah, or of Jesus' original 12 disciples, or of the Apostle Paul, or of me, and you, or anyone else who has ever lived their life in rebellion and running from the God who loves them, unconditionally, despite how dark or ugly or far from God we might be. Uh, Friday night, Marcy and I watched uh, 
a special episode of Dateline. We, we like watching Dateline. And uh, a portion of this special op- episode was an interview with David Letterman, uh, who was discussing his life since leaving The Late Show. He looks drastically different, by the way, and he seems drastically different, very serious. The interview actually included a conversation about the huge influence that Johnny Carson had on Letterman, despite Carson's troubled life and many quote-unquote demons, to which Letterman, deliberately turning to look directly into the camera, said, yes, he had his demons, but don't we all? But don't we all? It's true indeed. It's why stories, true stories, such as Moses, such as the story of Nikki Cruz, it's why they resonate with all of us. They resonate with all of us. So Moses in this story, um, he's now 40 years old. It says when Moses had grown up, (laughs) you'd think, boy, it took him 40 years to grow up. The word grown up actually means to be well-established. When Moses actually was a well-established man, now 40 years old, um, approximately 1485 BC, you you, you know his age by reading Acts chapter 7, where it's virtually the identical story that Luke retells about Moses in the history of Israel. Such an important piece of the history of Israel. Moses, 40 years after his birth, well-established. Acts 7 says that he was uh, powerful in speech and action. He grew up in Pharaoh's home. He was well-educated. He battled what some would call a demon. The Bible calls it sin. You see, he murdered a man, and then he fled. But he, as did Nicky Cruz, found out that you can run but you can't hide. You just can't hide from the love, the grace, the mercy, and also the purposes of God who pursues us more than our demons ever can or ever will. This is what I believe God wants us to hear this morning from Exodus chapter 2 as we go through a series in this wonderful book about God's deliverance of his people from bondage, from sin. This is what I think God wants us to hear this morning. The far-reaching effects of sin affects each one of us, everybody in this room. Sometimes we're the victims and sometimes we're the perpetrators. No one is immune. But in the midst of all, the depths of God's grace meets us, and we experience his provision, his preparation, and his promise, just as Moses experienced as a result of an ugly situation a long, long time ago. His story becomes our story, the beautiful story of the depths of God's grace in the midst of the depths of the darkest sin we can imagine. So this morning, I simply want to talk about two things from this text. I want to talk about sin, And I want to talk about grace. So let's look first of all at the far-reaching effects of our sin. Sin dominates this story in the first portion from verses 11 through 15. The first thing I want to say about sin this morning is this. Sin affects all of humanity. There is no one, there is no one that sin has not touched. First of all, All have sinned. 
That means that we are the perpetrator. We are the perpetrator. In this story, you see who the perpetrators are. An Egyptian beats a Hebrew. Moses kills an Egyptian. A Hebrew fights and beats a fellow Hebrew. Pharaoh tries to kill Moses. We see a group of shepherds who abuse a group of helpless women trying to water their flock at a well. I think the point of the story, as the point of Scripture, is that all have sinned. All are a perpetrator. I want to read for you this morning Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 23. It says this, What shall we conclude then? Uh, Paul had just finished talking about God's faithfulness despite the evil that is within us. What shall we say then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles are all alike under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the, peop- and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is talking about all of us. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now, a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Moses was one of those prophets, as you read about in Hebrews in the New Testament. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So scripture tells us clearly that all of us are sinners. Secondly, the far-reaching effects of sin and humanity is that all have been sinned against. It doesn't matter who you are here this morning. If you're alive and you're breathing, you've been sinned against. You are a victim of someone's sinful actions. The Israelites were born into slavery And they were the victims of hard labor. This passage says it twice in verse 1 and also in verse 23. They were victims of hard labor, which they were born into. This wasn't their choice. We see that a Hebrew was the victim of a beating from an Egyptian. We see that an Egyptian was a murder victim at the hands of Moses. We see that a Hebrew was the victim of a fight at the hands of a fellow countryman. Moses was the victim of a death threat. From Pharaoh. The one who raised him uttered a death threat against him. We see that seven helpless sisters were the victim of an abusive group of nasty, selfish shepherds in the middle of nowhere. 
Listen. This is the thing about sin. Sin crosses every racial line, every socioeconomic line. Moses is a prince of Egypt. It doesn't matter if you're a prince or a pauper. It doesn't matter whether you're a pharaoh or a slave. Sin affects everyone. It crosses all political lines. It crosses all religious lines. In fact, the Bible tells us that sin even goes to the point of affecting all of creation. I want to read for you Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 23. I consider, Paul said, that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That's what Pastor Josh was talking about this morning. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, Christians, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So sin affects not only each one of us, but affects all of creation that groans as it waits in eager expectation of that day when things will be made right. So sin affects all of humanity, and the effects of sin that we see in this passage are very, very specific, and I want to highlight uh, a few for you this morning. We see, first of all, deception and concealment. Verse 12, it says, Glancing this way and that, and seeing no one, he, Moses, killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. He hid him in the sand. Hid. That word hid means to fix secretly, to conceal, to cover up. Covering up sin. Since Adam and Eve, it's what every single person on the face of the planet does, including you and including me. At some level, we are all like Moses. <laughs> it may not be murder, but it may be murdering someone's character. As Jesus said in the Gospels, it may, be, may not be murder, but it might be theft. It may not be murder, it might be lust. It might be gossip. It might be drunkenness. The thing about covering things up or sweeping it under the rug, as the saying goes, is that the pile gets bigger and bigger. And eventually, if somehow still unnoticeable to others, which it is likely not, we start tripping over it. it, it if I try to cover up things long enough and I just sweep it under the carpet, that pile begins to grow and it becomes a problem. Sin can't be hidden. Moses found that out. David found that out. I've known it to be true in my life more recently than I'd like to admit, frankly. Proverbs 28, verse 13 says this, Whoever conceals sin, whoever conceals their sins, does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Amen? Whoever conceals 
their sins does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. But you know what? If we refuse to confess to God, still in his mercy, he has a way of exposing stuff. Luke chapter 8, verse 17 says this. It's kind of a scary verse, really. It's a scary verse, but also a merciful one. It says, For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Yikes. We'll talk more about that in a bit. So the first thing about sin is that we, there's deception and concealment involved. We try to hide it. Secondly, there's deflection, blame, accusation. The next day, Moses went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? Isn't that interesting? Like Moses just killed a guy. And now there's two fighting. Like they hadn't killed each other yet. It was probably headed in that direction. And, and, he, and he steps in and, and points the finger. Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you would kill the Egyptian? You see, a natural sinful tendency is to deflect our own wrongdoing and to judge or to lash out at others who are doing far less than what we did. It's a way of further concealing our own wrongdoing. And then comes the accusatory blaming statement from the Hebrew, who made you ruler and judge over us? It's the sinful human condition that affects each one of us. The third thing that happens in the story is fear. This is another effect of sin, it's fear. Then Moses was afraid and he thought, what I did must have become known. It was discovered, it was revealed, busted. Moses was busted and his first reaction was fear. As I said before, God is good at taking hidden things and making them known. Um, my mom, when I was growing up, I loved my mother dearly, but one of the things that instilled the fear of God into me was a statement that my mom used to say over and over again. She'd say, Eldon, be sure that your sins will find you out. Did you have parents who ever said that to you? You ever say that to your kids? Well, you should. You should. Because Numbers chapter 32, verse 23 says this. But if you fail to do this, I can't even remember in context what this is. I have to go back to Numbers 32 and read it. But if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord, and you may be sure that your sins will find you out. That's what Scripture says. God has this way of revealing, of, of revealing, of exposing what is hidden. The next, next effect of sin beyond fear is retaliation or the perpetuation of sin. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. So, so now the cycle of sin just continues. The next effect of sin beyond that is fleeing, hiding, running. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh. Uh, you know, when I was doing my research uh, on the book by Nikki Cruz, Run, Baby, Run, I came across the German version of Run, Baby, Run, and it is Flay, Kleiner, Flay. <laughs> run, small one, run. <laughs> flee, f- 
Flee, baby, flee. I want to read for you, going all the way back to Genesis, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and that you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took and ate of it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The first indication of hiding, shame. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord called to the man and said, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. I'm exposed. So I hid. So I hid. And the next effect of sin that we see in this passage is isolation and alienation. And so Moses went to live in Midian. He went to live in the middle of the desert where he sat down by a well, all by himself. You go back to our text in verse 22. It says, Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become an alien in a foreign land. Gershom means, literally, it means driven or thrust out. It means expulsion. It means a resident alien or a stranger there. This was the result of Moses' sin. It ended up in him being completely isolated and alienated and, and a stranger. No family. Here was, here was Moses who, as a child, as a baby, was taken from his family. He didn't know his father growing up. He was taken from his family and given to Pharaoh's household. Now Moses' mother nursed him to a certain point, but he grew up in Pharaoh's household, and Pharaoh, the very one who's supposed to be this father figure in Moses' life, is now trying to kill him, and Moses is on the run, and he's living in complete isolation, all alone, with no family. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 says this, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from God. They have isolated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Listen, church, this morning, listen. The ultimate isolation and alienation and tragic result of our sin on a much broader level, a level that impacts all of humanity, for all of time, 
Is alienation, separation, and isolation from God in a place of eternal punishment that the Bible calls hell? You know, we, we don't hear this in church very much anymore. But the Bible tells us that hell is a place of spiritual death, agony, and banishment. It is not just a concept, friends. It is not just a concept that many today, even leaders in the so-called church, are actively trying to deny. It's a sobering and serious reality that the church needs to embrace as we declare the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that is in bondage to sin, to a world that is, that is facing the impending wrath of God apart from a savior, a deliverer who is able to lead them out of bondage and slavery and darkness and isolation and banishment to a place of wholeness and healing and light transferred from the kingdom of darkness and Satan into the kingdom of God. Amen? We need to embrace this teaching of hell and isolation so that the good news can be the good news. The far-reaching effects of sin that began in a garden have impacted everyone since and will continue until the day we die or the day that Jesus returns. Suppression, slavery, and death are dominant themes in Exodus for a reason. Scripture tells us that the just payment of sin is death. It's what Romans 6 verse 23 tells us. But then it tells us that the undeserved gift and grace of God is life, abundant life now and eternal life then because of the grace, the mercy, and love of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, who died in our place, who took the penalty of death for us. This is the good news. Oh, but for the grace of God. But for the grace of God. And this is what I want to end talking about this morning is the far-reaching depths of God's grace. We see this in verses 16 through 25 so clearly. We see, first of all, the far-reaching depths of God's grace to Moses in provision. Here's a guy who's isolated and, and, and uh, sitting by himself by a well as a result of his sin. Just sitting there. And along comes this, this group of sisters seven sisters who are working for their father out watering the flock. And uh, you know the story, you heard it. But one of the things that's in the story is God's amazing provision. These sisters go home after Moses helps them. And Jethro says, well, where is the guy? Where is he? Bring him home so that he can have something to eat with us. Let's include him. Let's love on him. Let's provide for his needs. Where'd he come from? What's his story? And so you see that Moses was provided with his daily bread, with the necessities of life. But I, f I find it so cool that in this, uh, in God's grace of provision, it wasn't just food, but it was family. This man Jethro must have been pretty amazing. And you know what Moses gained that day? It was a father. He gained a father, Zipporah's dad. And he entered into relationship with the family. Jethro gave Zipporah to Moses in marriage. They ended up having a son together. By the way, Moses 
was very instrumental, or Jethro was very instrumental in Moses' leadership. Later on, we see this. Judges. Moses uh, was struggling in his leadership, and it was his father-in-law who came along and, and helped him. You see, when we mess up, God still cares about us. There are some people here this morning who have messed up so bad they think God doesn't care. Why should he care about a guy like me? And I want to let you know this morning that he still loves you. He still wants to work with you. He's patient with you. Yes, we need to come to a place of repentance in our lives, which is God's will for us. His will, God says in his word, is that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance, which means a turning from our sin and a turning to God. That's what repentance means. God's desire is not to condemn us, but to save us. That's what John 3 tells us. It is, and you know what? It is his kindness that leads us to repentance. And I think that is what's happening here in Moses' life. Moses has yet to encounter uh, the holy, purifying, refining fire of God that's coming in the next chapter, chapter 3. But I don't think that Moses would have been able or willing to face or endure the refining fire of God in that burning bush had it not been for his kindness first, which led him to that place. And I believe that is what's happening right here in this text. God's kindness towards Moses in providing for him the things that he desperately needed in his life. Oh, for the riches and the kindness and the grace of God, which we absolutely do not deserve, but for which I am so thankful. Secondly, we see God's grace in not only provision, but in preparation. Verse 23 says, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. You know how many years passed? When Moses spent uh, in the desert in Midian and with Jethro's family and with his new wife and family, another 40 years. This guy's now 80 years old. And God was just getting going with him. Isn't that, isn't that cool? 80 years old and God is just getting going. There's work for Moses to do. Um, back in Saskatchewan, there was a, there was a man, really sh short man, like five foot nothing, but a powerful, booming voice of a preacher, Frank Fraze. And uh, Frank and his wife, Bertha, they both died when they were in their hundreds. Like, these were amazing people. Like, they lived a long life. And Frank Fraze, uh, in my first church where I preached a lot in Borden, Saskatchewan, um, I invited Frank to preach once in a while. I just loved that guy. And he was preaching at that point when I was there well into his 80s. And Frank Fraze would tell the congregation, there is no retirement in the Christian life. He says, you know what it means to retire? He says, it means you put on a new set of tires and you keep going for God. It's a challenge to all of the seniors here today. There's no retirement. The kids that Pastor Chris is with this morning, they need you in their lives. The youth, the young adults of this church, they need you in their lives. 
During that long period, the king of Egypt died, and God was doing something in Moses' life. He was preparing him. And it says the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And God had all along just the person in mind who would be the answer to their call. His name was Moses, the murderer, who was now experiencing the grace of God in his life. James 1, verse 19 and 20 says this, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And you know what? It took 40 years of preparation for Moses to realize God was working on his anger issue. He was preparing him to become the leader that he needed to be to face Pharaoh, the new Pharaoh, and lead his people out of slavery and out of bondage. 40 years of preparation. Not only was God preparing Moses emotionally and spiritually, but very practically as well. I mean, in 40 years, you learn desert survival. You learn he knew the land well, the land that eventually he would take his people through. Both of which he needed as he would become the leader of Israel. But I want to end this morning on the grace of God as not just uh, his provision in our lives, not just how he prepares us, but also his promises to us, his promises. God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant, his covenants with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which you find in Genesis chapters 12, 15, 17, and 35. And it says that God looked upon the descendants of uh, uh, looked upon the Israelites and he was concerned about them. His covenant and his concern. And Moses experienced them both. Listen, if you are in bondage this morning, if you're experiencing a specific kind of bondage this morning, if you have messed up, if you're in a dark spot, you need to hear this. God has not forgotten about you, nor has he finished with you. You matter to him. He loves you deeply. He will provide for you. And he is doing something in your life right now, despite your sin, to prepare you for a wonderful future that he has for your life. His covenant and his concern for you are as certain as the setting and the rising of the sun. I can guarantee that. God is faithful to his promises. I want to close with a couple of passages about some of God's specific promises to us. The psalmist said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. And the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. It's a promise of God, is that we cannot flee from his presence. And the Apostle Paul, after talking about life through the Spirit and our struggle with sin and our future glory, he said, Now in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus 
our Lord. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Nothing. And it's all found in the person who Moses was the type of, the person of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, the Deliverer, the Savior. Would you put your faith and your trust in him today? Would you? You know, it's interesting how Moses, clearly identified by the Midianites as an Egyptian, he looked like an Egyptian, he walked like an Egyptian, <laughs> he spoke like an Egyptian, he was an Egyptian. He was clearly identified by the, the, the seven sisters, one who would become his wife as an Egyptian, yet Moses identified himself as a Hebrew. His own people, verse 11 says, his own people. And Jesus, in Scripture, is clearly identified two ways. He is the Son of God, and he's the Son of Man. He left the right hand of the throne of God to identify himself with those he came to save, to rescue, to redeem. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus is greater than Moses. Why? Because for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that is the gospel. And that is what we need to embrace today. The story of Moses, the story of the Exodus, all points to Jesus, and it all points to our need of Jesus. And if Adam and Eve and Jacob and Moses and Jonah and David and Peter and the disciples' stories have a common thread, it is common to us too. Because we're all affected by sin. But we're also all qualified recipients of God's grace. God's grace. You can run, but you can't hide. Let's pray. Oh, Father, this morning, thank you so much for your grace that is so evident in this story. The story of Moses is our story, but it points to a greater story, the story of a Redeemer who loves us, who provides for us, who prepares us, and who gives his promises to us, his covenant to us. We praise you, O oh God, that this is who you are. Thank you, Lord God, for your unconditional love that no matter where we are in our lives, no matter how dark the period of life, our life we might be in even right now, no matter how hopeless it seems, no matter how far we've moved away from you, no matter how greatly we've sinned, that your eye is on us and that you are doing something in our lives more wonderful than we can imagine or even ask. Thank you, God, for your grace in the midst of our sin. Thank you for Jesus. We love you, Lord. We respond to you. You are a good father. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.